0: They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they they attack us because we're over there. We don't need to go populist left or populist right. We don't need to embrace neo-Marxism or neo-fascism, these disastrous movements from the 20th century. Turns out the answer is pretty much our Bill of Rights. Our story. Embrace freedom. That's the answer. And if the LP has a
1: purpose, it's not to put people to sleep. It's to wake them
0: up. We're here because we love liberty. And we're here because we hate injustice. We are here to save mankind. We are here to fight.
1: Join us, the Libertarian Party, in perhaps the most exciting, grandest endeavor in history, the restoration of America liberty
0: ideas spread they can't stop them an idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government hello and welcome to episode 78 of decentralized revolution a podcast from the libertarian party mises caucus and mises pack i'm aaron harris and i'm your host This is going to be the second to last uh, episode of Decentralized Revolution before uh, the Reno Convention in uh, Reno on Memorial Day weekend, which if you've listened to this podcast or know anything at all about what's going on in the liberty world, uh, you are well aware of what's going on. We're going to try to do uh, a live episode, uh, I think, tomorrow as I record this. Uh, On Saturday, May 22nd, Michael Heiss is going to join me and kind of give a a Reno preview. Um, This is a a special episode for me because it uh, features one of my very best friends for quite a long time. Uh, He's probably my first actual real-life libertarian friend. Uh, I did an internship at the Cato Institute back in January of 1996, uh, like January to March, And uh, before that, it, uh, you know, libertarianism was, you know, Murray Rothbard books and Walter Williams uh, newspaper columns. And so to to meet some other libertarians in the flesh was uh, uh, a great experience. Uh, Cato was uh, a lot stronger on a lot of things back then. Uh, They're still great on foreign policy. And uh, they were pretty darn good on legal stuff back then. And that's where, uh, my friend Scott, uh, Kisenza is, uh, is our guest name. Uh, Scott was an intern for their constitutional, uh, studies department. Roger Pilon, P I L O N was, um, kind of in charge of things then. And, uh, 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 he did a great job. And, uh, Tim Lynch was kind of the, the second, uh, man on the totem pole there. And, uh, Scott, worked with them. And uh, he has gone on to do a lot of work in sort of uh, what we would call what uh, actually he works for LibertyNation.com. They're uh, what they call a conservatarian news and analysis uh, website. They do some podcasts, including uh, one called The Uprising that Scott hosts. And normally, I don't like the term conservatarian because it's you it's you know, it's conservatives who you know, think they're being edgy by, oh, I'm for the flat tax and, you know, I want to legalize weed, but, you know, on foreign policy and stuff like that, they're really bad. And, um, uh, this bunch at Liberty Nation, I think is uh, quite a bit better than that. And I know Scott is, uh, a, a very strong libertarian and, uh, I, I recommend, uh, his, the uprising podcast as a, to me, I kind of get a lot of my, it's kind of my weekly overview of the political, uh, news um, and you get analysis from Scott who's a libertarian. His co-host is a guy by the name of Tim Donner who's a a, a, a libertarian leaning conservative. So um, I kind of can keep up on what's going on uh, through that podcast without having to listen to uh, you know any of the corporate media or anything like that. Uh, and it's a, it's usually a shorter podcast than maybe like Tim pools or, or somebody like that. So, uh, I recommend you checking that out. I'll have a link to that on the show notes page, uh, decentralized slash, uh, 78. and, uh, I hope you will enjoy my talk with uh, Scott Casenza. All right, Scott, how long have you and I known one another?
1: We met in 1994, I think. Is that about right?
0: It's uh, January to March of 96. Oh, uh, it's 96. At, wow. Yeah, at the Cato Institute. So I was still an yes. undergrad, and I'm not sure where you were uh, between undergrad and law school and all that. So uh Tell us a little bit how you got to be an intern at the Cato Institute. What your education? Oh, that's right. Was
1: like. I I did Cato immediately after school. Okay. <laughs> not, not not during. That's what had me confused. You know, you okay. get older, you get old enough, and you uh, these these details start to fade. Um, I know. Yeah, I was a uh, political science major, and uh, in in the course of my studies, I did a really great internship, and I recommend internships to anybody who's who's out there and, and just starting out uh, or, or not, uh, you get to if it's a well-placed one, you can really move mountains for you. And anyway, uh, this was in the Maryland General Assembly, and I was a legislative assistant for two delegates, two Republican delegates from a, a suburb of Baltimore. And one of them was on the economics uh, committee and we had an economist from Cato come in. And this is, you know, before the Internet, basically, uh, at least practically speaking, for those of us who use it you know, all the time. And I didn't know about the Cato Institute and learned all about it and learned what they did there and that it was a, a free market libertarian ish uh, or libertarian institute. And it piqued my interest. And I kept in contact, you know, with uh, Dean Stansel, who was uh, yeah. who's the economist uh, that I know, you know, uh, or or knew anyway. Yep. And uh, after school, I had a, a gap. I graduated. I was a December graduate of college. I went uh, that extra semester and uh, before law school I, and uh, it seemed like a great place to uh to spend my time and to, uh, move the ball on Liberty and learn a bunch. And, uh, uh, through that connection with Dean, I got the, uh, I got the internship and, uh, of course met you and, uh, yep. we've been friends ever since.
0: Yeah, it was a great, great little group and uh uh a lot of people like we missed Michael Malice by a few months, I think. I think he was a Cato an intern. intern. I think oh, a, within right? a year of when we were there, he was an yeah. intern there. So that would okay. have been imagine how magical that would have been. <laughs> yeah, right. If
1: we'd had or we'd there. have stories about how he wasn't the Michael Malice that that we know now. Yeah. I,
0: I I know, but I have a feeling that we would have got along he with seems it, like back it. Oh, 100%. Back then. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, even the real wing nuts were you could get along with you know
0: yeah well yeah we can we got a couple stories about those guys <laughs> but not not germane here um you have a connection uh, of course michael heiss who's you know chair of the Mises caucus and jeff douglas another one of our board members are philly guys and so tell us about your connection to philly and where you went to law school and, and all that
1: sure well i was born in philadelphia or a couple hundred yards outside of the city limits and uh both my parents are there. I grew up 11 miles due East from the city in uh, the suburbs in New Jersey. And I'm a graduate of the Villanova university school of law, which is just outside uh, on the Western suburbs of uh, of Philadelphia. So uh, through and through, I would say is my, yeah. uh, my connection to that place. Yeah. yeah. When
0: I, when I met Mike, I, you know, immediately kind of had a rapport with him and, yeah. and Jeff, because I know, uh, sure. I know the, the, the Philly culture uh, uh, from you. So what you do now at, at Liberty Nation, uh, tell us about that in your podcast, because I want to establish how good you are and how much you know about all this stuff before we get into talking about the uh, current uh, Supreme Court stuff.
1: Okay, well, uh, I'm the legal affairs editor for LibertyNation.com, which was, uh, it's now, boy, time flies. It's all coming up on six years uh, old in November, and um, uh yeah. So my daily work involves reading the uh decisions before the court. I listen to oral arguments and read the briefs before they're presented. Basically any big case that's likely to uh demand coverage in the publication. Uh this includes uh not just abortion and gun control, although those are uh, you know, <laughs> if there's a good abortion or gun control case, that goes right to the top of the list, right? Everybody wants is interested in that. But also others other uh issues that uh that pique my interest, especially Fourth Amendment issues, search and seizure, and federalism. Uh, and I'm interested in all those and uh, write about them on a weekly basis. And I have a podcast that also goes out uh, weekly called The Uprising Podcast. And uh, we discuss basically all these issues in a le- less formal way. It's You know, when you write about these things, it's... uh you have to be much more formal than when you can podcast about them. And so uh, obviously I I appreciate the, uh, the the freedom to kind of talk about them in a more relaxed way on the podcast. But uh, yeah. And then we do video products as well, which are available on wherever we can put them basically. Um, (laughs) So,
0: so you guys have been facing, uh, uh, trying to navigate the, uh, uh, the tech censorship, uh, shadow ban world too, right? Tim, they had to uh, tim
1: I, I called you tim, <laughs> that, my tim, tim is his
0: co-host on, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, my, uh, my on... podcast
1: partner is tim <laughs> um we had to take the podcast off of youtube because so many of the other video products are less controversial mm-hmm. and there was a fear in management that the uprising because of it it's you know we don't pull punches basically and we discuss the the, the issues without a mindset towards you know, Sheryl Sandberg's preferences about them, you know, how how it's, it, it could implicate and basically take away that that platform. And we need the platform, we need the clicks. So um, they had we had to pull it off. And I think we're now on uh, Roku is the primary video uh, presentation. But, you know, it's funny, Elon's given us hope, I, I made it a point to, to, to try to now make some clips. You know, when I consume a lot of content on YouTube, it's not necessarily an hour long podcast, it might be a seven minute segment from that podcast where they discuss a certain issue. So I'm going to try to do that more, um, uh, for our, uh, our Twitter feed.
0: Sure. So, and, and even before, uh, you've had other jobs in this, this sphere and I think you're, uh, the type of guy who reads this stuff for fun, as far as like Supreme court, uh, 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 decisions. And, I would and be reading it stuff. if
1: it were my job or if it weren't my job, that's exactly right. Yeah. Right.
0: And, and, and you've been sort of talking about, uh the the current uh case that relates to roe versus wade for for months now knowing that this is kind of on the the court's horizon so kind of give us a little context to the the stuff that's led up to the leak and what we've been going through the last couple weeks
1: so the reason why i've been talking about it for so long uh is because when the court accepts a case there's a you know the loser goes to the supreme court right um in almost all cases there are certain cases between states and others where they get a direct uh, line to the Supreme Court. But in the vast majority of cases, somebody loses in a lower court and they don't like the result and they apply uh, appeal to the Supreme Court. When they appeal to the Supreme Court, they identify the issues or questions that they want the Supreme Court to answer, obviously in their favor. And then the Supreme Court, when they take the case, they can take the case with the issues that the, uh, the appealing party has suggested or their own it, their own question, right? But they they try to narrow the focus, right, for the briefings and for the arguments, and then their own work. And when the Supreme Court accepted this case, which is Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, that's the name of the uh, the big Roe v. versus Wade redux sort of case, is they said they took the case to examine whether or not pre viability um, restrictions in the law were were legal. And so that stark question. And when we get to talk about guns, we can talk about the question that they, they asked uh, uh, in that case or, the, or that they're going to answer, rather, in that case. And so because that was the question that they picked, rather than does that particular restriction that Mississippi offered, uh, whether that was consistent with the court's prior uh, pronouncements in Rogue and Casey and others, then we knew that this was a case that could could lead to the overruling of Roe. And, you know, um I'm much more um, passionate about uh, the results in the gun cases because I have a clear sense of, of sort of what's right morally and legally. And I just have just been disappointed so many times from the court. One of my sort of stock lines when I talk about the Supreme court is to say that if you expect to be disappointed, then your expectations are likely to be met uh, in terms of thinking about how they're going to rule on something. And so uh, I always sort of couch that, um, you know, you don't say the court's going to rule on row. You say the court may rule on row. And in yeah. previous abortion cases, for the most part, they didn't open themselves up to ruling on row, but in this case they did. And so, uh, that's why me and uh, lots of other court watchers, you know, we've been closely following it because we thought this might be, uh, this might be the result.
0: Yeah. And, and it's really been the last time, uh, something like this was kind of possible, uh, I think was the Casey case in the early nineties,
1: right? 1992's Planned Parenthood v. Casey. That's exactly right. Which was a, um, Pennsylvania abortion restriction. And basically the court modified Roe a little bit, but, uh, but also they, uh, used the opportunity to call Roe precedent and, and just blindly, uh, maybe not blindly is not, I don't want to be flipping about their ruling in Casey, but they didn't look at the precedent in Roe mm-hmm. except to say that they affirmed it. Yeah, um, and, and the precedent in Roe. Just so people are are, are Roe basically divided up uh, the uh, pregnancies into the trimesters and said that there would be little to no regulation allowed in the first trimester, some middle course in the in the second, and then almost no abortions uh, or, or no restrictions on regulating abortions in the third trimester uh, that right. states were allowed to do.
0: So one thing for me, you know, I, I grew up, uh, as you know, as kind of a, a Reagan kid, a Reaganite conservative. Uh, my parents were like literally the classic Reagan Democrats with roots in the South. And so I kind of really bought into the whole, like, you know, Reagan esque you know, American patriotic thing and view of the constitution. We need to go back to the constitution the uh, Supreme Court should be, you know, a guardian of our rights and all that stuff. And, you know, when I started getting in, you know, discovering Walter Williams and then Murray Rothbard, and kind of developed kind of that hard libertarian, uh, you know, cynicism, and that's in this way, I think it's, a, I think, to be cynical of government is like a really good thing and not like an evil soul destroying thing. Like if you're cynical of like every other person in your life or something, it's a, it's a necessary skill, I think. And so one of the first things that, that kind of, that kind of flipped for me and, and you may feel differently. And I know that, uh, uh, that you, that Liberty Nation kind of builds itself as a conservatarian type thing, which is kind of where I was, uh, b- before my transformation, is this idea of the precedent, that, that precedent is somehow, you know, at, at least maybe not 100% binding, but very binding, and we need to, uh, the, the court kind of does defer to the past, even when, if if you go by their stated judicial philosophy, that case back in the 30s was decided wrong, but still we have to defer to it. So talk about like, just talk about that and how maybe some more libertarian or more, uh, uh, shall we say better Supreme Court justices from your point of view have handled that and how that's at play in Dobbs. Well, I think
1: that sort of just more holistically speaking, the thing that's important about precedent is that you can't act if you're responsible justice or judge, you can't act without understanding about how people have organized their lives based on what the court has already said. So people have spent potentially millions or billions of dollars regarding how the court is organized, uh, you know, and take it away from a hot button socialist suit, just take it to like some dry insurance related matter or something like that, that is between a business to business relationship. But the court makes pronouncements in many areas of the law and people organize their lives on the, on the basis of how they do that, Uh, whether it's family planning or anything else. And so I think that it just sort of the broad measure is we have to respect that people are relying on what the court has said and so we can't have a situation where I mean if we want to have a functioning society where these things flip-flop you know very often uh, I think that you know Justice Alito handled it uh, you know in terms of the the, the leak of the uh, the Dobbs opinion justice Alito's it was a hunt, uh, or a 63 page opinion I think with the lengthy appendix and the the bulk of those pages were, Justice Alito saying we're overruling this precedent and here's me giving respect to the precedent, meaning we're not just going to say we don't like that rule, but here's why we're moving away from that precedent. And Roe, you know, Roe is just one of the worst decisions. I'm not talking about the result. I'm talking about the the, the actual words on the paper, the decision and the arguments. Uh, it, was, it, it was a bad case, uh, and, including
0: and even some very strongly pro-choice uh, legal people say that. Right.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, said words to that effect. You know, just to go to their, you know, their their Christ figure for the uh, for the the court and the abortion issue, Um, and not only that, but there was a fraud perpetrated upon the court with some briefings by uh, by some of the 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 pro-choice side. So. You know, to say that Roe is a bad decision or a bad case does not implicate. It's actually one of the reasons why uh, it's so nice to come on and talk to somebody who's a libertarian, because you don't have to say like, you know, just because you think a law says one thing or another or a constitutional provision says one thing or another, that that implicates whether or not a person should do something or should not do something or the result. So Roe was a bad case. And I I think it's good that Roe uh, be overturned because of the, the precedent, because it's you know, to rely on it and say we can't make a change uh, because its precedent is wrong. What's right is to say people rely on these precedents. And if we're going to overrule or overturn a major precedent, especially if it's a big one, um, we could talk about uh, Brown versus Board of Education after Plessy versus Ferguson, which said that uh, the states in the South could segregate students on the basis of their race. Uh, They did make different schools on the basis of their race. So it's you could say, well, that's an outrage. It is an outrage, but also let's recognize that um, if you're going to change these things up, it does have, you know, a massive impact just in the mechanics of how society is organized and how these people rule their lives. So I think that the more reliance there is on a precedent, the more important it is, then the the more justification you should have before you you kind of overcome it. But that's not to say that it's locked in and we don't change it. Um, You know, that's, there was uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson was asked about super precedent in her testimony. and She declined or she rejected that notion that Roe or other cases were super precedent. She said all the court's decisions are precedents and deserve precedential value. And I think that's the appropriate way to think about it. Now, Justice Thomas is basically uh, the sort of one of the most libertarian, especially before Gorsuch. And uh, we're still seeing exactly where he comes down on it, But but he may be more libertarian than Justice Thomas. But Thomas has said, Hey, if it's wrong, it's wrong. We're going to over, yeah. you know, we're going to overturn it. And I appreciate that uh, that position as well, just with you know a scotch of deference to the fact that these people have organized their lives based on what you said three years ago. So let's make sure that what you say this time is right, right? Because we don't want to have to go back in three years and make another change.
0: And, and I, I again, I see, and as a you know, I'm an anarcho capitalist and radical decentralist, so. Uh, I, I think I differ from you a little bit on this, but like, to me, that's one of the, the great drawbacks of the Supreme court. And, you know, I'm no fan of democracy in the legislature, uh, either, but, um, at least with that, you can make bold, uh, changes fairly quickly and there's some link to the mood in the country and you kind of can see it coming, right? Like, let's say that if, if Trump would have been a more, uh, uh, organized and disciplined person. Uh, he could have gotten through a lot of his program, uh, economic and otherwise through, but at least, you know, half the country would, or 30% of the country would have been uh, apoplectic over it, but it, people could have seen it coming. And the the problem, one of the big problems, I, I guess I, I'm agreeing with you, the problem with why it might be good that the starry decisis, the precedent thing is a thing, is because literally nine people voting, you know, meeting uh, in secret up till now uh, can literally on a Tuesday morning, everybody. I don't know when the court cases come out, but we could all wake up, and you're right, something uh, very huge happen uh, with little to yeah, no well, warning. Somebody like not, you might know it's coming, but like for most yeah. people, we're blindsided by the the Dobbs leak.
1: Well, the founders did not envision it. You know, between one and three people on the Supreme Court would control yeah. all the issues of our of our republic and our lives. And that's where we are now. Uh, but that wasn't the plan. And um, the, the was more it, legal.
0: Sorry, was it Marbury versus Madison that basically yeah. very quickly shifted uh, to that being a possibility? Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. And, you know, that's consistent, I think, with any kind of libertarian notion that any entity, governmental entity, whether it's a cabinet department or a branch of government will fight and work to increase its own power and influence. And there's no greater uh, uh, move than, than Marbury. Um,
0: Explain that real quick.
1: Well, Marbury versus Madison basically was the case where the Supreme court said it's up to us to decide whether these laws you pass are legal or not. Uh, That specific kind of way that, uh, that the court, operates wasn't necessarily laid out in the constitution yeah. or contemplated by all the founders um so that's the sort of the the genesis of why these things are all uh, decided by the supreme court that and then of course incorporation and the sort of death of of states as as independent uh, sovereigns um yeah.
0: In Marbury versus Madison, the Madison was James Madison. Was he president by that time or was he? You know, you're
1: going to. What
0: what year was it? Do you remember that?
1: Uh, I don't have it handy. Sorry. So it (laughs) would have been probably in the first appointment on the uh, on the historical details.
0: But somewhere before 1815 or so, like it was. Yeah, it would have been fairly uh, early um so what oh it was, was
1: it was early in the republic for sure yeah right in that first yeah.
0: generation while the founders were still alive. and
1: one of the things that actually you can look at to to, to to think that it wasn't so anathema to the founding is we don't have contemporaneous writings by the founders that say this is an outrage there may have been some criticism but um even though it wasn't laid out in article three that this is how the supreme court would work uh it seems like that you know the At the time, there wasn't a great deal of uh, controversy about it.
0: Yeah, actually, it was 1803 during the Jefferson administration, which I think at that time, man, I used to know all this stuff. But I think uh, Madison was secretary of state or something then. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, um, so how was Roe decided? And this is going to I think this is very relevant. We can start maybe weaving in a little bit of the, the upcoming gun case and the Second Amendment and how that differs from abortion and how I think it's funny. We, we talked about it on the phone a few days ago about how conservatives and liberals in America are going to be, uh, exposed to be very hypocritical as to their constitutional, uh, reasoning, yeah. uh, over all of this. So what was, how was Roe, uh, decided what amendment, where did they point to in the constitution so it's to say that the state laws were
1: bad? And, and I, we're going to you know, we'll get a, a little bit below surface layer, but we're not going to give the the full law school symposium. Yeah, uh, we don't we don't I, have a a fifty minute uh, lecture on it. Um, basically, is the due process clause of the Fourteenth Amendment is is the main sort of couching of where this comes from. There, there's a uh, a story that uh, Justice Thomas has a plaque in his office that says there shall be no emanating from the penumbras, and the idea behind that is that um, in order to get to X clearly stated um, <laughs> grant of rights yields Y result, which seems to be, to most fair readings, you know, not inclusive. So, for instance, um, the idea that the founders contemplated surgical abortion, or that the people who passed the Fourteenth Amendment, or uh, contemplated surgical abortion, is not the case. Okay, uh, they didn't. Um, so, how do you get from saying that? What they did contemplate and wrote down then yields a result, which is where Mississippi can pass a law to restrict uh, abortion rights, um, you know, before a certain number of weeks. Well, they say that it's in the due process clause, and within the due process clause, there's it institutes a. This is a. These are the uh, uh, post Civil War slavery, uh, you know, amendments, uh, and basically they're passed in order to kind of uh, guarantee that the uh, newly freed slaves and blacks generally would have the same basket of rights within a state that uh, that whites had. Not about abortion, <laughs> um, but that's what they said, was that there's a sphere of personal choice rights that come within uh, the sort of bucket of rights we get as Americans, and that the the right to, to choose an abortion is within that sphere, at least in, in terms of an early term abortion. Again, that's part of Rose uh, holding.
0: Right. So... Uh looking at the 14th amendment uh it basically said that the bill of rights and the constitution also apply to actions of the state and not merely the congress correct yes so in that in that case it basically gutted the decentralized aspects of what we used to call federalism
1: well it didn't completely it, it's one of the guttings uh, okay. the guttings you know there. the, the, the... There were many, many uh, decisions that that have led us down to the, to the place where we are now, which I think there's, you know, there's really no. You can't really make the case that the states practically are, are you know, are sovereigns or co-sovereign with the federal government. That's that's really a fiction at the time. The founding, of course, it was the opposite. Uh, they were even stronger in many ways than the federal government. Um, yep. But but yeah, that's one of them. You know, the incorporation. All of the incorporation cases where the federal government in the form of the Supreme Court has said, we're going to incorporate this right against the states that were initially only contemplated against the federal government. You didn't have you know, your, your rights under the, 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 uh, the Bill of Rights. And uh, we could just talk about the Second Amendment. It's convenient to do is to say that you have the right to keep and bear arms. You have a right to keep and bear arms. And the federal government can't implicate or impinge upon that right. That's what the Second Amendment says. And it only was recently uh, incorporated against the states. The other rights in the First Amendment have long been, or most of them, have long been incorporated against the state. So your right to free speech, I don't actually know what the date on uh, uh, free speech incorporation is. But it's generations ago where they say that state governments can't also impinge on your right to free speech, for instance, like the federal government prohibition
0: so in the wake of the 14th amendment which would have been 1865 or 7 or whatever yeah a lot of the in the successive generations i think between there and the new deal just about all of the bill of rights was then incorporated or applied to the states and what was the case that the second amendment finally achieved that status
1: uh that's a mcdonald
0: okay and when about when was that
1: mcdonald is uh I don't want to guess and, and, uh, and give the bad info. Let me, okay. uh,
0: that's fine. Go ahead and look it up. Yeah. Um, and then there was another big case called Heller, um, which yeah. I think probably, uh, that, and I think uh, someone we know had a little bit of a, a, a hand in that. Uh, but what I think it's, I know, important-
1: I know several people who, who had a hand in it. In fact, okay. um, just to talk about that for, for a second. So McDonald was, uh, 2010, and um, that built upon the, uh, the Heller case and the Heller case was actually, um, uh, that's a 2008 case. The Heller case was started by a guy who was at Cato uh, when we were named Robert Levy. I think he's now chairman of the Cato Institute or in retirement, either one. But uh, what, a, what a beautiful friend of Liberty. Everybody, if you ever meet this guy, you buy him a drink because uh, he's the reason why the Heller case happened. The National Rifle Association was scared at the time, and and all times previously, that they would get a bad result at the Supreme Court to articulate the right to keep and bear arms as protecting an individual right. And just federally, the incorporation arguments hadn't happened then. We're just talking about whether the federal Constitution gives citizens a right to keep and bear arms against the federal government, or or in the face of federal government attempts to uh, to impermissibly regulate it. And Bob Levy said. No, we need a we need a, a Supreme Court ruling on this, and he financed it, and uh, along with some other uh, lawyers, including some Cato folks that we know, they they presented the case and they won, of course, um, and that's why we now have uh, as a fundamental right. That's the, sort of the row of uh, of gun rights. Not I'm not putting them on equal footing in terms of their precedential value or, um, you know, what I think of the uh, of the opinions, but that is the fundamental uh, the the case that that says we have an individual right to keep and bear arms. And then McDonald basically says, yeah, I think it's out of Chicago. Uh, it's an Illinois case that the states have to abide by these rules too. It's incorporation against the states of Heller mm-hmm. and of the second amendment.
0: Yeah. So if I, I know that you're would probably consider yourself uh, pro choice, if you were um, ha, um, on the Supreme court, like, in other words, what's the proper constitutional argument in your mind that justifies some kind of abortion uh, uh, protection? And, and what would that and what would that look like? What would the what would both the procedure and the result be if if well, if you were writing that opinion? So
1: federally, I think it would be pretty easy. And it's just that the enumerated powers uh, that Congress has that are delegated to it by the people in the instrument of the constitution do not provide for them to criminalize uh, abortion i read those uh uh those enumerated powers and i don't find that power uh so to me that takes it away from any kind of federal regulation being permissible uh and that's true for as you might imagine you know 99.999 percent of uh what the federal government does that seem to clearly uh, deviate from the bright lines of the enumerated powers. It's a lot more difficult when it comes to uh, state law. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, we'd have to look at state by state what the state constitutions say in terms of what their uh, legislatures are allowed to do, but I think it's a lot easier case to uh, to make a prohibition at the state level. That, I think, is more of a, I would yeah. attack that more from a political angle rather than right. a, and and I would just say in terms of the moral uh case too you know if i'm given the choice of one path or another and one path involves throwing many of my neighbors in prison and then having the state put a gun to my head to pay for them um that's a not a preferable outcome rather than the other and now you could say well if the other is the murder of innocent babies well then yeah obviously uh but where that line comes into when a, a grouping of cells becomes a baby yeah. Uh you know that's a that's a tough line
0: to draw. So what would a what would a um what would RBG or someone like that uh where would they have uh, given that they thought Roe was bad law what would they have uh tried to do to protect it at the federal level that might have withstood uh uh an attack like Dobbs and I don't even know if attack is the right word but You could say that
1: the that it's a it's a medical procedure uh and even though there's a component that you know there's a case to be made that 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 doesn't pretend that uh a fetus is just an uh unviable tissue mass which is what mm. was one of the the ways that uh, the the pro-choicers used to refer to fetuses back uh you know uh some years ago in the arguments uh, but say that the trade-off is met by uh, we have a right to control our our bodies uh, and and medical decisions that we make concerning them um and that that's found not in one particular uh, amendment to the Constitution but the entire breadth of it. Um, yeah. and I think that you know uh even though I disagreed with her on on almost all uh you know outcomes uh that justice uh, Ginsburg would be up to the task to uh, to find that if if she desired.
0: would that those people would extend that logic to uh, other things like on the, on that argument alone, which is kind of to me the most principled argument because it is basically a libertarian argument. I think there are other good and better libertarian arguments, but I, I think it's just, just bananas. Like I, I happened to be in downtown Knoxville over the weekend and, and literally happened upon a, uh, several hundred, uh, people, uh, uh protesting, you know, uh, in favor of abortion. And a lot of their signs were, well, they they were, yeah, they were bananas, but some of them was basically were a libertarian argument. Like, you know, the whole, my body, my is, and, and how you would, if they could only
1: remember where they were three months ago on the vaccine uh, or, uh, they argued against the libertarian. Uh, yeah. Yeah. About the public is that there's so much ignorance about what, what, what these laws are. You know, I, I uh, just seen these polls and these stories about how people, the American people want Roe to be, uh, to not be overturned. Yeah. It's like, they don't have a clue what Roe says. You, yeah. what they mean is they were the result of liberal access to abortion services, which is one thing. And then Roe is an entirely different thing. Those, th- they're not synonymous.
0: Yeah. If you give me 20 grand and the, the budget to do a, a poll on top of that, I'll get you the result you want. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I'll, cause I, I can write the, I know how to write the uh, the question sure. and, and pick your samples to get exactly what you want. Yeah. So polls are, uh, I, I even on election stuff, I, I don't even bother looking at them or at least giving them much credence, but so well, you have
1: to go deep. You have to go into the tabs. I actually <laughs> disagree with you. They are valuable to the extent that you can go into the deep into the tabs and you have to ask, you don't look at the graphic that the the yeah. artist had put up with the pie chart. You go and you look deep in and you say, what was the specific question asked? And that yeah. is, that's where, that's, you know, that's where the marrow of it is, right? Yeah. You have to decide. And then you can see, okay, were these people given a clear choice? You know, one of my best uh, exercises I did as a political science student was devise a poll. Um, I was part of the questionnaire committee. My college, we did a congressional poll in concert with the local newspaper um and all through it was a great exercise for for a political science student from you know what are the issues what are the questions and then the actual conducting of it but i remember having heated arguments with people about the questions and try to get to you know an honest presentation of of you know what we were after
0: so and that really kind of falls into line with something that you know has been brought to the fore by the leak and something that I think Sotomayor kind of talked about, I think it was in the oral arguments to Dobbs that, that you talked about on the uprising podcast was uh, they, I think they openly discussed in, in those arguments uh public perception and, and, and things like that, how the public would look at yeah. the court. So talk about, you know, again, mm-hmm. in our civics class and, um, Kind of the American civil religion. It's these nine disinterested uh, <laughs> uh, 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 objective people uh-huh. who are yeah, right. who don't bother to look at the polls or watch MSNBC uh-huh. and they yeah. you know they 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 just turn to the dusty law books and and their own principles yeah. uh, uh to to do this. But I think this basically lays bare the fact that they have and uh do and all I think always have, wanted to let's just say they're very aware of the public. And I think that's why I think a lot of people are, are, you know, speculating that Sotomayor might, might have been uh, the leak because she kind of realizes that and wants to try to um forestall this decision or whatever through. So talk about how the, the, the public's um, uh, sure. Well, let, let me take toward the, the Supreme point. court. Yeah. Go ahead. Let me think.
1: the last point first about the leak. Um, I think the leak is a really big deal and uh, it pains me as a person who does revere the court um, in a way that maybe is a bit unlibertarianish. ish But, um, you know, my first job in Washington when I was at the Cato Institute was uh, again, pre-internet, I would on opinion release days, I would drive down to the Supreme court and get a stack of opinions so I could come back and give uh, the, uh, the constitutional studies department lawyers their copies of the opinions they could then read and then you know write their stuff and analyses and respond to media requests and so uh the other thing too just in terms of uh how far we've gone from uh you know that a libertarian audience i think would would appreciate how bad it's gotten aaron and i used to drive up a double park mm-hmm. two wheels on the curb to get out uh, bound up the stairs to the court. Yeah. I, you know, you, you'd wait a while and then you get your opinion and you come down and like the idea that you could pull in front of a government building without, uh, you know, bollards that are, you know, blasting and, and, and have your car like blown up as a likely, uh, threat, you know, it, and discard your cigarette
0: earth. just as you go in the door. Right. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um,
1: they may even allowed it inside the the lobby at that point. Um, uh, yeah. but, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, you know, and, and now it's of course, now we have the, um, well, today, uh, The you know, since the, the release, we have the unscalable fencing. Yeah. And some years ago, the court removed the front door access. And Justice Breyer, of all people, wrote a kind of eulogy to uh, to that access and, and how it was important that it be maintained. Um, so uh, Justice Sotomayor, I'll just say, put my biases out there. She's my least favorite justice. Um, and I think that she... If any of the justices leaked the opinion, I think it was her. And the reason why isn't just because I I dislike her. Um, It's because I don't see from the right uh, a lot of talk around many issues that say, yeah, there's these sets of rules that govern behavior and those are all good. But we but it's permissible to deviate from those rules if we really, really want it. So we should throw away. Uh, Supreme Court opinions if if we don't like the outcome, you know, we the, the pro-lifers have been have been working, you know, the country for uh, going on 49 years now. Um, and they, you know, with the exception of uh, a bunch of kooks, which are a relatively small number that did take the law into their own hands and murder and bomb and whatever, they by and large have just been trying to use to the, the political process to peacefully make change uh, in this law. And I just don't see that from the left has much more of an appetite of, yeah, free speech is a good ideal, but we can't have it because Trump is so such a threat or this other thing is such a big deal or abortion is such a big deal that, uh, yeah, courts court secrecy is a good idea. But we'll go ahead and deviate it in this case. And I see Sotomayor buying into that. She has been far and away the most, uh, you know, it's funny with the there's been some criticism of uh, uh, and an an effort to really uh, get him off the court uh, to the extent that it would be fruitful uh, of Clarence Thomas because of his wife, Virginia Thomas's political, um, actions. And, uh, justice Sotomayor has been the one from her own actions, not the actions of a spouse or relative that has given political actions from the court. She's like called candidates and thanked them officially, you know? Yeah. It's been really, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't recommend it, uh, to her, A political stance and of course you couple that with the narcissism and uh lack of being you know sort of a top ranked uh choice she was an affirmative action choice she checked two boxes of being a woman and a latina and i think that that's you know the reason why she was chosen for the court um so i think she's that's a strong usage case for if there was a justice who leaked it it would be her i hope by the way that she didn't do it and there's by the numbers actually it makes more sense that it was a clerk and here's why there are nine justices each justice has four clerks right so that's that's a far more uh wide universe of people who had access to the opinion and also who probably lack an appreciation for the what they're really doing in other words you know some you can imagine of just somebody who's been bred on woke uh ideology for for all of their short adult life right yeah. so how this usually works is somebody goes to a top-ranked law school and then typically they would have a a clerkship at a lower court or maybe two lower courts even before they got to the Supreme Court so they're a couple three years out of law school they're in their 26th eighth year in life and uh you could just see yeah. how that would be uh, attractive there's you know I I, I don't like to try to speculate too much on the, the names that are out there on Twitter as this person or that person, because they can't really defend themselves and it's just, you know, it's just speculation, but we do know that they had access to the files, those clerks. And that just seems like a more likely uh, uh, person to do it now to circle back around. Uh, thank you, Jensaki, to the, uh, <laughs> the question you asked about Sotomayor's statement in court. It was shocking to me when she did it because what she said was she, at oral argument, she's being the the, um, the advocate for uh, uh, for the state, the uh, the attorney general of uh, of Mississippi, whose name is escaping me now. Basically, started his argument with a full-throated rejection of Roe, saying we, the state should, you know, the the country should reject Roe as precedent. And Sotomayor said, "How are we going to get away from the stench of that this is politics?" And she's the one. So how you get away from it, by the way, is to not be political in your questions or in your uh, uh, opinion and your vote, and not. At, but you're the one who brought it up, Justice Sotomayor. You're saying it's politics, so now the stench of politics is is on her. I think, uh, and yeah. she's the one who says this is about politics. Um, so,
0: so what did this leaked opinion say? And do you think um, you know? Is it being reported in the media correctly? If it goes through, what would happen? And uh, do you think it's likely to hold it? Do you think it's going to be, you know, who, who, who do you think is going to uh, uh, end up on which side of it and all that?
1: Right. So what the opinion does is basically return our laws to a time pre Roe v. Wade, which was there was no federal prohibition on states limiting abortion rights, uh, that states could outlaw abortions and make them criminal uh, including by the way uh, any abortion whether that was a result of uh, rape um, or incest is the uh, the sort of catch-all two things that you know the the press always seems to go to or allow abortion um, without restriction though it wasn't addressed uh, the uh, the opinion specifically says rather than leave it up to people to kind of make their own, a uh, decision on whether or not that opinion addresses when life begins Justice Alito writes explicitly this opinion does not address the question of when life begins it only addresses whether state regulation of abortion is federally uh, prohibited or or in stages federally prohibited and, and that it's not um the other thing is in terms of where we're where we're going and so by the way so that leaves you know some of these states, uh, I think it's a half dozen have, uh, or Baker's dozen maybe have, um, trigger laws that would make it, uh, a crime. The second that, that basically that opinion comes out and other states have said they are moving in that direction. And then of course, uh, some states are just going to uh, keep their present laws. And then there's a third branch, which are expanding abortion access. There's a, there was a story, uh, I, I was listening to the, uh, I live in the national capital area, and there was a story uh, out of Maryland on the radio a, a week or two ago, where they were talking about um, uh, training, uh, uh, allowing non-doctors to perform abortions because of the flood of abortion services they expect to to come in if if uh, Dobbs, you know, breaks out like the uh, like the leak makes it seem. So
0: they get awfully libertarian, awfully quick on this issue. <laughs> it's, it's so amazing. funny, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> God forbid you want to get some kind of like you know procedure that doesn't include the you know their 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 progressive politics uh it's the opposite yeah. um the other thing to keep in mind is there's actually been i think at least 3 and as many as 6 leaks from the court about the dobbs case only one of the leaks is this fantastic leak of the draft opinion that's something we've basically never seen before uh you know from a court insider there was a case uh, a generation ago where a typesetter i think released uh, a vote count to a supreme court reporter that i actually worked with uh early in my career um and uh and there's another case where that reporter tim o'brien by the way um uh, took a half burned a draft opinion from one of the justice's fireplaces that he was <laughs> interviewing and who didn't realize that you know that, that it was there but that kind of leak that's the the blockbuster leak but there were there was a leak to the Wall Street Journal, presumably from a conservative justice that, that happened uh, a week or two before the opinion was leaked. And, you know, it may be that that was a retaliatory leak. Uh, yeah. It's not just all, you know, necessarily Sotomayor's fault or, or her ally or whatever. Right. Uh, and then there was a leak definitely by a conservative member of the court to the Washington Post after the uh, uh the opinion was leaked from the conservative side. And then I think there may have been a leak to Joan Baskovic at the CNN as well. So it, uh, I wrote a piece for LibertyNation.com on this, uh, just talking to, you know, emergency plumber needed was the, uh, was the headline. Um, uh, you know, none of these leaks I think are, are, are good for the court. And what I think it says, Aaron, is that it's like super dysfunctional. You know, the idea that these are, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and justice, uh, Scalia were, were, were famously, close friends um and i think that notion you know i i don't see uh justice sotomayor and uh uh you know justice coney barrett uh sharing yeah. uh, a barbecue on uh, memorial day weekend this year
0: yeah. so do you think that it's still gonna uh, if i recall like it, it uh, a lot of people inferred that this would be a five to four with roberts siding um with the three liberal justices do you think that anybody will is that accurate do you think anybody's going to change their vote do you think they're going to pull way back um, So what
1: we know from the leak to the post which occurred after the leak of the opinion is that it is 5-4 or, or 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 excuse me take that back that it's 5 to 3 to question mark that that's that's what it was that Roberts didn't know where he was going to come down and there's uh let me take a drink here excuse me
0: yeah, what a shocker that Roberts is the squishy one in the middle, yeah. right? Yeah. The other
1: thing that to keep in mind is there's the result and the opinion that, that buoys the result and gives it its, its legal precedent. And you can disagree with the uh, the reasoning for the ruling. So Roberts could vote that this Mississippi abortion law was permissible under the Constitution, but also that he didn't agree with Justice Alito's reasoning as to why. Mm-hmm. Um and that's another possibility.
0: Yeah, so they can always do that. It, it could be six to three, but you could have four opinions written, or or even none or nine for that matter. Yeah, and yeah. but only the majority opinion is the one that. Well, uh, yeah, I guess There's that's one new...
1: opinion that's called the opinion of the court. Okay, and that that opinion is written by the most senior. Well, they get the first chance at writing it. The most senior justice in that uh, that vote group, mm-hmm. and roberts is always senior because he's the chief justice
0: right yep so um so that Mm -hmm. you know that i think would be great from our perspective here with the mises caucus is you know really wanting to go toward decentralization and even you know encouraging uh i think it's good that that states even on stuff that i disagree with I, i generally think it's good that states like california may try to defy uh, the federal government uh, on this. Do you see, like, if that happens, like, is this going to be like a huge, the, these sort of nullification uh, issues? Is that going to be like what dominates the court over the next decade?
1: When the Heller case was announced, I think I said, uh, this is a full employment act for lawyers because the failure of the court to draw a bright line ruling, which everybody could then understand, this is what they meant. This is what the law was going forward meant that we're going to be fighting about it for decades. And we are. It's 2022. We're now waiting for uh, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association case to come down, which we hope we on the Liberty side hope articulates that there's a right to keep and bear arms outside the home uh, or, or yeah. right to carry. That's what the, the case concerns. Uh, but we're still waiting on it. And uh, yes, it, it stands to reason that this abortion case will yield, you know, Massive amounts of litigation going forward, and it'll be another decade at least before things are sort of settled down. I think where uh, where people understand where it is.
0: So let's talk about the gun case, uh, and you know what's at issue here, and why it would be potentially such a, a big and good thing for for libertarians and, and gun gun people.
1: Well, this is very similar to the abortion case, which meaning the um, the question presented is what makes it so important. And the question presented is whether or not a state can deny somebody a permission to carry a firearm without a good reason. It's about the whole shall issue law. There was a, a movement in the country and the, started in the early eighties in uh, Florida by uh, Marion Hammers, the name of the woman who really um, got it through and Florida became the first of the new wave of shall issue states. So how, federal uh, or how state permission to carry firearms works is you can have a, a shall issue or a may issue a shall issue is just like our driver's licenses if you meet the qualifications if you have an eyesight that's within range if you can pass a test and make a certain score on it and you're a certain age the state's required to give you a driver's license they can't say well yeah aaron but i know i've seen your mom drive around and she if you learn from her, clearly you're not going to be a good driver. No, no. You meet the standard. You get the license. That's it. As the way, you know, government should be, right? It's not about the personalities involved or something like that. And that's the opposite of how uh, may issue works. And basically the states that are hostile to gun rights have may issue uh, laws and the states that are not hostile to them have shall issue Um We've seen a sea change from may issues to shall issues in most of the country. But a lot of big states and lefty states have may. So California, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, that whole, you know, Illinois, probably. um, Certainly they all have may issue regimes. And the may issue is they might give you one. You know, if your brother in law is the mayor or you're uh, or you have some other political pull, maybe you can get one and maybe you can't maybe even if you're a jewelry store owner who has a lot of cash, you think like clear in a bad neighborhood, you know, like the, the, the clear, uh, usage case, you might get one and you might not, you know, in New York famously, uh, celebrities, uh, that politicians liked could get one and you know, John Q public never could. Uh, so is may issue legal. That's what this case involves. Okay. Um, the, uh, the applicant whose name I forget, there's actually like two or three individuals who are the sort of uh, named parties that New York State Rifle and Pistols acting on behalf of. They're denied permission to carry a gun, and there's no good reason to. These are people who are uh, situated the same as as people who New York State has given permission to. It's just that they don't fit that, that favorability box. You know, their brother-in-law
0: is not a cop. Yeah. Um, so so this would be like, you think this would be pretty major. So this would basically make every state a shell issue. Aaron, every night when I
1: put myself to bed and I say (laughs) my prayers and uh, I think about what could be, yes, this is the big bopper. This is, you know, and again, I, I'll say it a million times. I expect to be disappointed by the court. So, but, but it has the potential to be that, that big a deal. It has the potential to say to California, Hawaii, by the way, notoriously hostile to gun rights, uh all these states that 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 really just completely violate the fundamental right of their citizens to keep and bear arms that um you can't do that anymore that that people have these rights and of course then that opens up a whole thing about travel which is now if you travel with a gun it's like completely opposite you know you imagine what it would be like if you had to uh, check in every state you were passing through if you could drive there right like if you're going from tennessee to new york and you had to figure out how to get there without committing a felony well that's what has to happen with these people who are legally carrying a firearm Uh, they're going to travel interstate
0: so shifting over a little bit to the uh, political side of thing, you mentioned a little bit in uh uh talking i think about heller about the nra and I, i you know it's funny the left has this caricature of the NRA as some so you know rabid anti-gunned, you know, radical libertarian whatever but like ha, who has been and who is today sort of you think the most effective political advocates for uh and and legal for that matter for uh second amendment stuff
1: sure well for political the NRA is you know they are they're the uh they're the big boy on the block um now lately they've been really sidelined i think by the scandal at the top and the leadership uh wayne lapierre is personally corrupt um and uh i think that he holds on to his position at the nra because they're defending him in lots of these instances because he's mm-hmm. the leader and if he was just on his own it would be deplete his vast personal fortune yeah. that he got from uh, uh it would be inappropriate to say stealing but through means that I think most of the members, if they were presented with uh, the information, I would say, no, that's not a appropriate use of our funds in order to pay no. Wayne either directly or through some workaround that he has with some production company or yeah. or, or something else. Um, you know, at the state level, it, 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 it varies considerably. I live in a state which has one of the most uh, best run state level uh, single issue policy groups around it's the virginia citizens defense league which i'm a member of i'm also a member of the nra by the way uh and an nra certified firearms instructor so uh you know the nra does a lot of great stuff but also um
0: they concede a lot of ground on some issues especially that libertarians and and not only that but but also
1: you what could they have done if they were run the right way that that's another thing you know just because somebody did a good thing doesn't mean that you just say okay well then we're just going to you know keep going with, with how it's been. Um, so I would say that them and and on the legal front, it has not been the NRA at all. They have been, uh, the opposite of helpful. They've been a Mm -hmm. a boat anchor around progress. I would say the second amendment foundation, maybe, uh, uh, one of the best firearms policy coalition, another one. Um, and of course we have to once again, give credit to the great Bob Levy, uh, who self-financed the Heller case out of his own pocket because, uh, because he loves liberty and uh, and he wanted to take a shot.
0: What do you think of gun owners of America?
1: Oh, I think they do very good work too. Um, absolutely, I didn't mean to. You know, that there was not an editorial comment by, yeah. uh, by by not mentioning them. But I don't uh, I don't think that they are the equal of the NRA on the political front nationally. Even yeah. though I do think they do good work. Um, now maybe that's that's you know it's a, we're in a change state right now with with yeah. how the uh, because of the NRA. Yeah. And what's going on there. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. So I think that, that my general perception is they're much better on principles, but just not as big and effective and entrenched as yeah. the, as the I would just say,
1: let me just add, if you're listening and you want to make a difference, the best advice that I've had given to me and I've followed is find the local, uh, the, the group that's closest to you that does a decent job and write them a check and join them yeah. and become active in what they're doing don't, don't do it. Don't give it to the NRA. That's, they're a top-down organization. And, you know, I have found it an exercise in frustration throughout my adult life to try to move with the NRA towards uh, securing these rights.
0: So we've got a few minutes left and I wanted to talk again as someone who is uh, a pretty strong libertarian, but in, you know, the organization you work for and kind of the, a lot of the people that, Um, I think read your site and and watch your content are sort of conservatives. And I, I, and as a former conservative myself, I am always interested in seeing where they're moving on things. And uh, the aforementioned Michael Malice has the great quote that often conservatives are just progressives driving the speed limit that what progress, the progressive victory of today is the standard conservative position 15 years later, whether it's gay marriage or assault weapons bans, or, uh, you know, some particular tax thing or whatever. So I think the COVID thing has woken a lot of people up. And uh, I think people are generally, a lot of people are waking up to, Hey, maybe we do need to, you know, maybe the cops aren't so great. Um Maybe um, a, a more radical federalism and decentralization m- might be a, a good thing. What, what's your perception of where sort of the rank and file conservative voter activist is as well as the, you know, some of the more connected organizations and stuff, are they going to be more effectively anti-state going forward or are they just like, Hey, we need to get Biden out of there. But you know, once a Republican's back in there, they'll, they'll kind of fall back asleep.
1: Yeah, that's a big question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I have a satisfactory or apply for you. I, I, I have such great hope that it's one way and I work every day to try to make it that one way. Um, and I see, uh, that it, that that does bear fruit. Now maybe that's just a confirmation bias of sort of where I live my life. Right. So we do, I, I like to use the term conservatarian for LibertyNation.com, and And we will have, you know, we have a, Our economics correspondent andrew moran is a you know an arco capitalist he's uh you know right there with you and so um there's room for for a a wide sort of variety of voices on our platform but uh, a lot of us come to uh, these arguments from a libertarian perspective and you know the world seems to be uh you know david uh um who am i thinking of here um Sorry, I, I I had the person's name in my head. And uh give me just one second here. Who's uh who's Crane's number two at Cato?
0: David Bose, B O A Z. Yeah.
1: So I remember when uh when we were interns at Cato and we would sit around and uh bitch about the state of the world and how uh you know it was all going to hell in a handbasket and David Boza would have a great kind of pep talk and he would have these seven things that he would talk about and he would just say, look at this, look at this, look at this. We're so much better than we were a generation ago. There's all this cause for hope. And I would just say that, you know, that's a better way to look at the world than than the alternative. And I think that um, the most promise here is, is the issue that if you if you said to me at any point in the last 30 years what's the one thing that we can do to increase liberty i would say it is to end the drug war Mm -hmm. and i really think that you know you can't argue that we've made massive strides in doing that there's still you know an ocean of ground to cover before we're done uh i think with it if we ever are but it is a huge thing that so many millions of people now can uh use marijuana and not be arrested for it and not suffer all the consequences of of illegality that go beyond arrest you know having to go to a sketchy neighborhood and uh and try to score uh and we're seeing that now with uh, hallucinogens uh the mushrooms are coming along and uh you know that to me is sort of the big cause for hope and i see conservatives still you know, they're not bucking that mm-hmm. uh especially when you see the you know the pile of tax money that it involves um for politicians to spend i that's sort of a different question because real conservatives and conservative politicians aren't necessarily the same animal either. You know, any politician wants power and influence and, uh, you know, rather than the conservative uh, sort of citizen who that's not necessarily their goal.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think that there is some cause for hope. And I think that the, and this is, we're not going to get into this because it's just too big of a topic, but pardon me. I think the, Kind of the woke stuff, the CRT stuff that a lot of like normal conservatives are getting a little bit like they're just like, no. You're you're, and the and the vaccine stuff and the COVID stuff, like there are a lot of things that when you start messing with people's kids, they start looking at alternatives and like you see the homeschooling thing really taking off. And I think a lot of people are, I hope, and again, I know that your that your focus over at Liberty Nation is a little different, but I really hope we do see a lot of these fights on decentralization where uh, uh, certain states and and again, even if it's California trying to uh, uh, nullify federal policy on guns like I I think that's there's an upside to that of kind of encouraging people to think about, hey, you know, one of the ways we can fight the state is to uh, encourage our local uh, politicians and our neighbors to basically ignore unjust laws. I mean, that's where I get into the uh, Lysander Spooner look, uh, view of the Constitution. Um, and, and I think that that's the one thing that, uh, you know, I, 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 I go back and forth between being very black-pilled and very white-pilled. And to me, the only sort of white-pilled thing that I see, but I think it is a big one, is the fact that, you know, and, and like you said, on the drug war, like it was a lot of states doing this at risk of you know uh, i think there's still some tension between what the federal law is uh, on on weed and stuff like that and so there's a lot uh, yeah mm-hmm. i think this is a a great uh thing and i hope conservatives and liberals too um uh, uh you know embrace the the nullification uh aspect and that we do sort of move toward uh thinking about and this is my opinion obviously i'm not saying it's yours but you know, move toward that national divorce rhetoric. And I'm hearing more conservatives, you know, talking about that.
1: If California and Gavin Newsom decides that he could, uh, be president of California country, I got to tell you that, uh, there's a lot of gun owners and conservatives throughout the country. that are going to be sending him checks for the, uh, for the effort to get that done because there's so many of us who think that we don't want to be in league with Californians when it comes to, uh, Mm. you know, being a, a group decision maker. Uh, you know, for me, um, I would have, uh, you know, sort of just my personal views on this to the extent that the left has now become in this, in a generation pro-war and anti-free speech, Mm -hmm. it scares the hell out of me. And I don't know what use I have for them. I used to have all kinds of use for them. They were the ones who were were the leaders on anti-war and free speech. And 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 the shaming conservatives in the right for their rhetoric and actions on both of those points deservedly so. And now yep. we have full circle, where they have contempt for free speech and are are warmongers. So, yep.
0: yeah. And, and I, I I always sound like grandpa when I talk about that on the podcast here to to younger people. But there was a time when you know the the generation of our. Uh, uh, our university professors and things like that, they were those old school liberals who were anti-war, uh, pro-free speech. And even I had a guy who basically was a communist uh, as a professor of mine who was uh, pro-gun rights uh, yeah. uh, f- from a civil liberties aspect. And I, you know, I really do see as the baby boomers are getting older and dying, that the conservative liberal thing is more shifting toward the authoritarian libertarian side of things and yeah. um i i think that the that the decentralization uh stuff is is gonna uh accelerate that and i hope it, like i love california my sister-in-law lives out there i want to go visit her i want to go to a dodgers game i want to go to the beach but then i don't want them uh having anything to do with you know, my rights here, uh, in in Tennessee, uh, before you head out there, buddy. (laughs) Um,
1: the other thing I just want to slide in and just in terms of how we think about these things, if the gun case goes bad for, for us. And, uh, uh, the one thing that the gun case, uh, how that's completely different than a lot of these other issues is technology is going to solve that for the libertarians.
0: That's right. Good. You've heard, talked a lot about this. So
1: very few number of years where, you're going to be able to print a gun at home and they will not be able to control it you know there may be some kind of restriction like you can't print a, uh, a dollar bill the way that you can another piece of paper because of these some technology that the printer company has implemented but they're on the gun thing there, i'm sure there'll be a hack around that and so yeah. they cannot control guns except for even if the most draconian gun restrictions were enacted tomorrow yeah. it wouldn't be but for a few years before those are going to be completely defeated by uh by the technology so
0: yeah. God bless Cody Wilson. Right.
1: Absolutely. Right.
0: Yeah. So tell people uh, I, I appreciate having you on. And uh, I do personally recommend you know, like even if I weren't friends with Scott, like I, I do have friends who have podcasts and stuff like that. And I listen to them once in a while. And yeah, but I, I listen to uh, the uprising all the time, if only because it, it you guys do actually talk about the news of the day. So I can kind of keep up on that. Um, uh, it is event kind of driven.
1: F- that's what we try to, uh, we try to yeah. make it lively that way.
0: Yeah. So tell us about, uh, about your podcast about libertynation.com uh, before we say goodbye.
1: So Libertynation.com was founded by, uh, uh, I'm one of the founders of it. And we, we went live actually, uh, when Donald Trump swore his oath of office on uh, January 20th, that's not to say nice. that we're, we're, uh, uh, Trumpers or never Trumpers or anything, but uh, we were animated by really just the straight lies and and just narrative driven claptrap that we see in the in the mainstream media. And you just read an article and you think, like, just this is just not true. And one thing I can just say to everybody who I encourage you to to visit LibertyNation.com, you're going to see a lot of opinions that you don't like, but you're not going to see any facts that are false were mm-hmm. implanted there for you to think about things one way or another yeah. so um when i write about the you know the supreme court um you know i think you'll get the tone of my understanding that you know i, I may favor one thing or another but it also a great straight news site in terms of yeah. when an opinion comes out what they offer and uh, i thank you for your um for your plugging the uprising which is available yeah. wherever finer podcasts uh, are available um, and it's a weekly show. It's about an hour. And uh, it's a conservative and a libertarian. My uh, my boss and my my podcasting partner, Tim, is a, he's actually a libertarian conservative. He's not straight conservative. He's a really conservatarian is a good word for it. You know, yeah. um, to the extent that that things fall uh, in the margin, he he favors a libertarian solution. But there are some things that I think are just sort of died in the wool conservative. So.
0: Yeah, no, I, 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 recommend it. And, uh, I, I appreciate having you on. We've, I've been talking about it for a while and I thought, uh, you know, this, uh, this case is, uh, uh, the, the ideal, uh, time to have you on because, uh, you know so much about it. So, um, uh, if, and when the, the gun thing comes out or something else, uh, uh, huge might have you back on if, if you're amenable to it. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, uh, I appreciate having you on and, uh, 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 yeah, we'll see you down the road for Liberty. Yeah. Cheers. And there you have it. I'd like to thank uh, Scott Casenza for his time and wisdom. And man, more than twenty-five years of uh, friendship. I highly recommend you check out his stuff over at Libertynation.com. Uh, dot com. And uh, yeah, we're we're getting ready for Reno as I record this. It's the Saturday uh, before. Uh, if you see me uh, out in Reno, please come up and say hello. Um, I, I really appreciate all the support we've gotten uh, over the last couple of years. And uh, once, uh, once we get past Reno, we're going to be able to turn our focus to, you know, local candidates, um, to uh, issues, coalitions, and uh, kind of upgrading things uh, at Decentralized Revolution here to. A little more uh, polished and professional and, and uh, regular and things like that. So, uh, I really appreciate everybody who's uh, uh, supported the podcast and, more importantly, supported the Mises Caucus. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you in Reno. Thanks to Dave versus Goliath for all the music you hear on Decentralized Revolution. And, of course, thanks to you, everyone who subscribes to our email list and gives to Mises Pack at TakeHumanaction.com. And all of you who share, rate, review, subscribe to Decentralized Revolution. Thanks for listening and we'll see you after Reno.